Please turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. And once again, we're going to take a look at really the blood test of how, what an elder looks like, what an elder looks like. And the reason I've, I've titled this a blood test is because we can't study for a blood test. It just tells who we are. And so we're looking at our lives in such a way of who we really are, not what we want to be or even what we want to portray ourselves as. If you think again about uh, this passage that we're going through, Titus is not so well acquainted even with the people that he is ministering to. And he's been given the task, we're going to read over it in a minute, he's been given the task to appoint elders or overseers over these churches in Crete. And so now uh, Paul has given him, through the inspiration of God, he's given him a list of things that will be true in these elders' lives. And so we're going to read this. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read this for you. It says this in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and, the, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also rebuke those who contradict it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to be before your word. I thank you that you have brought us together here ask that you would work in us in such a way that uh, we would understand what godliness is according to you. God, do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We have talked about in the last couple of weeks this same list of uh, how this all comes together, how, how he's going to identify who these elders are. If you can think about it, uh, maybe this isn't a good illustration, but I'm going to use it anyways. Um, if you were to go on a blind date, and you were to go into a church, and you were going to meet someone there, you didn't know who they were, but they told, but someone told you, you will be able to notice them because they're wearing a red rose or a butler's outfit. Okay, 
It's that kind of identification that we're looking for this morning as we go to God's Word. And He's going to give it to us. We went over a little bit of it last week and the week prior, uh, what an elder and an overseer is supposed to be. I want to tell you, too, that it's important for us to distinguish that this is in the midst of living, in the midst of living. These characteristics will be seen in the midst of going about our days. I think most of us can be good when the spotlight is on us. When we say, now is the time to perform. We can even go into an interview and say all the right answers and act in a certain way that is good. But this is in the midst of living. And I want to tell you and remind you that who we are and true godliness is shown in the midst of our families, in the midst of our jobs, in the midst of our relationships with one another. And so this morning, uh, we need to think about that as we look through this list uh, that we're going to be going over. We've already talked about, uh, really, there's three categories here that I'm going to go on. We're really on our second one, that you'll be able to see an elder in his home to show himself godly. You'll also be able to see in his life and who he is as a person. And then next week, we'll talk about who he is in his teaching, what, what it is that he holds as the things of his life and that he desires to impart to others. If you look down at verse 7, we looked at it last week, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. These two words, steward and above reproach, are important for us to remember. That this is not an elder or an overseer's church. It's just simply God's church. He paid for it with the blood of His Son and that He has entrusted or called Him to be a steward uh, in His church. And so as he considers who this man is to be, he says he must be above reproach. There must not be something that would wreck the reputation of our Lord in his life. So now we come to a list that he goes through. And I want to confess to you, it's hard to preach lists. You just really go and you define the words and we'll, we'll go on. But I, I, I trust that as we come together this morning that this will be profitable for you as we consider what godliness is. He says this, He must not be arrogant. He must not be arrogant in the middle of verse 7. It's the idea of being overbearing or arrogant or self-willed, other translations say. It's the idea that he loves not his own desires or opinions and recklessly runs over the rights of others. It's that he considers not his own agenda, but the feelings and the desires and really the people that he's been entrusted to. An elder can't be one who is all about getting their own way. I think that that is one of the things that we think of often when we think of his church, is who gets to have their own way? Who gets to get what they want in the church? And really the answer to that is Jesus should get what he wants in his church. He's the one who directs us and the one we follow. Not the elders, not the will of the people, but the will of Jesus implied and entrusted and made right in his church right here. This is the desire as we try to identify 
who it is that's truly godly, we identify and we look at them and say, hey, are they uh, self-willed? Are they arrogant? Are they people that are constantly pushing for their own rights and desires? The second word used here in verse 7 uh, in this list, arrogant or quick-tempered, quick-tempered. One translation uses the idea of soon to be angry. It's the, the person with the short fuse, short fuse. If you have a short fuse, uh, you're not qualified and identified as an elder. If you're quick to blow up, um, there should be a sense in you where people know that you can be offended over and over and over again without the, the idea of blowing up. When people are around you, they shouldn't have to walk on eggshells. They shouldn't have to say, oh, I don't know if I should say this. I, I better be careful with the way I use my words around them because they always blow up. They're, you, you know, they're, all, they're really touchy. You see, this is the picture that God desires for his church is that his elders, his people would not be quick-tempered or soon to be angry. You've got to ask the question as we look to men and really all of us as we consider where we stand. Are we quick-tempered? Because if we are, we're not what God has for us. We, we need to be changed by his gospel. The third word he uses here, uh, and it's hard to find a theme other than that which is above reproach. But he says, um, arrogant, quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or a drunkard. I think this is pretty obvious, isn't it? If someone's a drunk, if someone's given to wine or alcohol or anything else, if that's the mark of their life, uh, that would bring reproach back on, uh, back on the church, wouldn't it? If there was a, a, a time where someone uh, got a DUI on Bear Valley Road here, do you think that would bring reproach back to the church? Of course it would, right? The idea here is that these things don't mark a man's life. That they're not what he plans around. It's not that he's a heavy drinker or given to drinking or can't handle life without a drink. You need to ask the question, is your life built around alcohol? Is there a, a desire every day as you go about your day that you need to have a couple of drinks to take the edge off? A couple of beers, a good bottle of wine, or a drink with a meal over and over again. You must have it. Then after a few drinks, after dinner as well. Is your life built around alcohol? Does it ha does it, is it the thing that, that decides what you can do? Can you not live without it? Then you are marked uh, by this characteristic, the negative characteristic. He goes on. Not arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or violent. Is he a fighter? Now, when I go over this, uh, the, this particular attribute or identification, I think this would be good, good for counseling. This would be good for counseling. We pull someone in, I think especially a, a, a man who's having trouble in his marriage. And Pastor Mike and I uh, just stand up and we kind of walk towards him. And you say, you need to clean your act up. He says, no, I don't want to. And then we just pummel him. 
And then we say, well, you know, if, if this doesn't work, why don't you make an appointment for next week and we'll, we'll do this over again. No, that's not the way God works. He doesn't need our strength. And the violence that marks many things in this world, the idea that the strong will win out and can get their way, this is not what the Lord's servant is. He's not violent. He's not ready to strike. He's not a fighter. He doesn't solve problems with his fists. I think that so often in our world today, there's a sense of do it however you need to get it done. And he says, this is not what the Lord does. You have to ask the question, is this the way he solves problems? We move on. Or violent or greedy for gain or greedy for gain. Now, when you hear greedy, uh, there's a couple of things that come in. Remember, this is the context of an overseer or an elder. And he says he must not be greedy for gain. So I want to tell you that, uh, to be honest with you, most churches, most churches in our, our uh, country today, how they decide who elders are, they look at their jobs, they look at their situation, And if they see them to be financially successful or have climbed the ladder so they can be on the top of their company, you say, hey, that's a sharp guy. We need him as an elder of our church. And even some have thought down the road of saying, you know what? Um, If they have a lot of money, if they have a lot of money, that's a good thing. That's a good thing for them to be an elder because once you decide the vision of the church, It's quick to get there because they can produce money that would get us to be able to accomplish that vision. That's not the way the Lord does business. In fact, one of his warnings and identification is to say, not greedy for gain. Not greedy for gain. So, uh, to be honest, if someone is rich, if someone is rich, there should be a pause in us before they make, we make them an elder. There should be a pause. And I say pause for a reason. I wanted to say a red flag, but that's not the right word. Pause. Because you know what? Sometimes people get rich because of their greed. They chose a particular occupation because they were greedy. Because they could make a lot of money. And they, they got wealthy by chasing after money and greed being the God or the idol that they would choose after, that they would build their life around. So as we look around the church and if we see a rich man, it's not that his riches have identified him as godly, but be careful, be careful in us that we would say that man is ready or godly because they're rich. But ask the question, are they greedy for gain? Now, let me move on in the same point and say this. There's also a sense of, forgive me for using this political phrase, a sense of class warfare in our country right now. And I'll tell you which class you are. No, I won't tell you which class you are. You know, there's some classy people at this church. You know, somewhere even bow ties to church and stuff like that. 
Sometimes there's a sense in those who don't have anything or have not been able to attain wealth or have squandered the wealth that they have been entrusted to look at those who have wealth and go, oh, greedy people can't stand that they have a new car. They should have an old clunker like I have. That would show true godliness. You know what? Uh, you can be greedy and not have any money. Okay? The idea here is the way we perceive money and the way we think about it, the way we consider it, the way we chase after it. I want to tell you this and say it in a way, but stay with me, please, because if you cut this out of the sermon, it'll sound really bad. The church itself is a huge waste of money. It is a bad business to be in. I just want to tell you that. It's not a money maker. Okay? Do you realize that? We are consumers here of money. We are not making any money. Our investments are not uh, producing more money that we could say, hey, now this is something I can invest in. So it's a danger to have a greedy man leading the church or uh, a shepherding or being that steward over... Because why? They only see dollar signs, right? And the problem with the church, it's not really a problem, it's a, a beauty actually, is that the dollars that are spent are never producing other dollars. They're producing things of greater value when God works in them. And yet a greedy man's a dangerous man as an elder or an overseer because he just sees dollar signs. He sees we invest this much money, it must produce this much money. That's not the Lord's work. He's not concerned about that. So we have to ask the question, is he greedy? There's, those are kind of a, a negative list that I just went through of things that he must not be. And then in verse 8, it turns to a verse that he must be. He must be. In verse 8, it says, but hospitable, but hospitable. The, the, uh, the word hospitable is a lover of strangers, a lover of strangers. And we really get that picture, right, of someone who's willing, in, in our culture, it's to have them into your home, it's to serve them, it's to be willing to talk. I want to tell you, uh, this may be really profound to you, and if it is, I'll consider, I'll be really impressed with myself. Everybody is a stranger until you meet them. That was deep, wasn't it? <laughs> Worked all week on that one right there. Everybody's a stranger until you meet them. In fact, in the church here as God's people, uh, it's really an interesting thing that, that there may be other believers, other believers within our midst here and outside here, that really are brothers and sisters we have just never met. They're part of our family. And, and so there's this desire and display for a man to seek out and to be hospitable, to not be one who's closed to his own family and just saying, I don't need anybody from this outside world. I, I, I don't interact with people. This is a defining characteristic of godliness is to be hospitable, to be a lover of strangers. You know what's interesting? Uh, 
This can also be to those who don't know the Savior, who don't know Jesus. It's to have people into your home, is to have people into your life. I realize that sometimes the home is not the best place, but it's the idea of being willing to invite people into your life. It may be over a cup of coffee. It may be just the willingness to stand and talk with them. It's to engage them, the, the idea that you desire to get to know them. In our culture, the, the idea of hospitality and the idea of being a hospitable person is so rare. It's so rare because we're busy, right? I've got too many things in my life, so I'll push you away. I, I really don't have time for you right now. And so we continue to push people away. And yet, in a list of what an elder overseer should be is the idea that they're hospitable, that they have time to invite people into their lives whether it be over a meal, a cup of coffee, or just a conversation. They're a lover of strangers. They're a lover of strangers. We need to ask the question, uh, is this man or am I, am I hospitable? The next characteristic that's identified here is a lover of what is good. Lover of good. Verse 8, be but hospitable, a lover of good. It's showing the idea of a devotion to that which is best in God's eyes. You need to look at the life of uh, someone who's to be an overseer or your own life as well and say, what are the things that I love? What are the things that I find funny? What are the things that I chase after? What are the things that I'm devoted to? Because those things, those things define who we are. And where we're at. You've got to ask those questions. What are the things that I'm impressed with? What are the things that I'm burdened with? What are the things I find that I reflect on over and over again? What are the things that I love? The things that are good or the things that are of the affection of my soul? This defines who we are. So we have to ask the question, what is it that we love? Are we lovers of that which is good? In verse 8, once again, it says, But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled. Self-controlled. In other translation, it says sensible or sober. You have to ask the question of your life. Is your life on an emotional roller coaster? Is it something where uh, people don't know what to get from you or what they will get from you as they see you? Because your life is, whether you're up, you're up, or whether you're down, you're down. But is there a sense of self-control or sensibility to your life? I think about um, different occupations that must be hard to do. Pastors, obviously, the most difficult at Bear Valley Church especially. Um, no, it's not true. But uh, we, you know, from time to time I've met different people in different occupations and how difficult it must be. I think of a fireman who uh, there's a sense of having to make snap judgments. We had some friends uh, for a while who were air traffic controllers and the idea that they would sit there and, you know, for the most part it just being a boring job but when things get complicated they get complicated and there's very little margin for error 
You think of these different things. And, and what it is, it's the idea of being self-controlled of your emotions, that life does not ruin you, that you don't go up and down. And you can see this, why this would be important, because what is it that an elder has been entrusted with? What is he to be the steward over? The church. The church is valuable to the Lord, and so he needs to be one who's self-controlled or sensible or sober, that he should be able to handle the difficulties of life, not in a sense of not being touched by them, but when he is touched by them, that he would not lose control of who he is. Are you self-controlled? Is that a mark of you? Some of you have already uh, figured this out, that these are things that you can't do without the Lord, right? Work of the Spirit in you, right? That it's not an issue of personality, it's an issue of God's work in you. As we move on in verse 8, self-controlled, upright, upright. The idea that, uh, or just in other translations, it's the idea that this man lives by God's rules, not making them up as each day passes. It's the picture of someone who's not up for sale, up for sale. Who, who will get him the most votes? Who, sorry, I didn't mean to say that out loud. Uh, who will get him the most attention? What is most uh, profitable for him in any situation? But that he lives his life in a sense of, uh, of conviction that these are the things that God has given him. And he will not budge from them. He is a rock of conviction. I must ask the question of you. Are you up for sale? Looking for the highest bidder. Looking for the one who will sway you one way or another. The next one is holy. Holy. Or devout in other translations. This word holy obviously comes in various places in the scripture over and over again. It's spoken of our Lord. It's spoken of God and who he was and his attributes that we worship. It's the idea of set apart from the sinful world. And this one is super important is that this isn't a person or a man that has been connected with the world and is so intertwined with it that it defiles him, it makes him dirty. It's the idea of being set apart from the filth of this world in such a way that it doesn't touch him. It doesn't make him. He calls us to be holy. He sees us as the people and he says, this is what will mark their life. The next one after holy is that is disciplined, is disciplined. In other translations, it uses the word self-controlled. It's a little bit different uh, than the previous word used, that, that being of that of an emotional roller coaster that they are. This last word being one of self-mastery. Self-mastery. It's the idea that they're not controlled by their passions. I think in our, our, our culture today, um, when someone says they're passionate about something, we think, oh, that's a great thing. That's a great thing for people to be passionate about things. And it is. There's a sense of heart involved in that, right? There's a sense where they are giving themselves and they are with, without restraint giving themselves to this, this thing. 
But the idea here is not that, that passions in and of themselves are bad, but it's that they are controlled passions. They are not without a restraint and they're appropriate. You need to ask the question, are you disciplined? Are you self-controlled? Do you keep your will in line with that of the will of God? Is your will and His will intertwined? It's interesting that, that sometimes we think about these passions as being great. And when I ask you the question, is, is there someone that has to watch over you spiritually to keep you in check? Is it the idea that um, as a young child would be at home alone, uh, does someone have to call you every once in a while and you say, is the fire department there? You know, what's going on? Is your brother still alive? Put him on the phone. I just want to check in just for a moment. I'm checking in on you. Or is it something that you are self-controlled, that, the, that your passions are under your control, that God has given you the ability to do that? He's worked in you and matured you in such a way that you can be seen as disciplined, one with self-mastery. We're going to stop here this morning, um, and I want to tell you next week we're going to talk about teaching and how all this comes together. I realize this list is uh, somewhat discouraging. I don't know if you're discouraged as you go through this list of what it looks like to be godly, and you go, oh, don't measure up. I hope we get into something better next week that uh, doesn't mark me so bad. I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. That when, uh, first of all, this is a list for elders and overseers. This is for Titus to identify within the church who it is to be the men who are to lead. Secondly, I want to tell you this, that uh, no men, no men measure up to this list. Not, Not a one. There's not a sense of perfection to these there's a sense of identification and, and the idea that they are marked by these things, but it's not that they never fail in these things. I want to tell you, too, that this is the evidence of the work of God, not the work of man. You cannot run really fast and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard and I'm going to be perfect and I'm going to be this. Don't do it without Jesus. Don't do it without Jesus. You need him. This morning as we uh, sat before this passage, I just want to remind you that this is our hope for the future as well. That This is what we hope God does in us. I was talking with uh, uh, one of our people uh, before the service and just saying, you know what, that this is, we can't anticipate what the future holds, but we can anticipate this, that God wants to change us. He wants to change us in the years to come, as we sit before his word, as we walk with him, he wants to change us into who he wants us to be. Things that you can't imagine. You'd say, I never can get rid of this. With the Lord, you can, and he will. Let me pray for us, and then we'll share in a time of remembrance of what the Lord has done. God, thank you uh, this morning for us being able to go through your word. Um, God, we ask your blessing on your church that you would raise up uh, godly men and women that would fulfill the ministry here. It would not be uh, of our own doing. And God, we see in these lists uh, of different criteria than the world would have. The world has a totally different criteria 
of who they would put in place. But God, may we look to you. May we hear your voice. May we, may we listen as you have instructed us that we might be the church you want us to be and not one of our own making. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be before your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.